demolition derby on the bumper cars. I accept. You, you will be careful, won't you? See the Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Sail On Podcast. This is Wyatt in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you so much for joining me wherever and whenever that may be. I hope you are very well. It's a busy time of year for many of us. There are lots of moving pieces, kids getting out of school, juggling, working, and traveling, and living life. And I was working on this new episode for the podcast, the new season, a few weeks ago, and I realized that I hadn't added any emails in a while, so I started to look through them and realized, to my surprise, that there were over 700 unread emails in the inbox. I don't know how that happened. I'm very thankful that you guys are writing the show and sharing your stories, but my goodness, these things have piled up. So before we get into Going crazy with this new season, I wanted to address these emails and hear some of your stories, answer some questions, get to know the sailors that make this show what it is, and show my appreciation for you guys. Let's get it going with an email from Rob Satcher. Hey Wyatt, just saw Ceylon perform today in Clearwater and really enjoyed the show. I came home and discovered your most awesome podcast. I'm only on episode three, but since you guys were talking about Gary Usher, I thought I would tell you a little somewhat related story. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York in the 1960s and was a huge fan of the birds. I was a songwriter, but ended up being mostly known as a nightclub owner in New York, which led me to meeting and becoming a friend of Joey Ramone in the 1990s. When Joey and I first started getting to know each other, we would always talk about our favorite artists and albums. I asked him what he thought of the Beach Boys, and he told me that the Ramones were very into the surf bands. He loved Brian. He then asked me if I'd ever heard of a guy named Gary Usher, who Joey described as an unsung hero of the California surf scene. I told Joey that the only Gary Usher I knew was the guy who produced the birds, and Joey told me that was the same guy. Joey told me you have to check out the Hondells, and then you guys talked about them. Anyway, just a short note about Gary. By the way, if you guys are interested, I can send you a link to where you can download a book I wrote about the New York City music scene that covered the late 80s into the early 2000s. It's not Beach Boys stuff, but I do have a story about meeting Brian Wilson backstage with my friend Jody Porter, who was in Fountains of Wayne. That's Brian's favorite band of the 1990s. You can read some excerpts here. And then he posted a link to order the book. I'll put that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Rob. What an awesome story. The Ramones are one of my favorite bands, along with the Beach Boys, so this is relevant to my interests, and I'm glad to have you on board. Um, I look forward to checking out the book. Thank you so much for writing. That's awesome. Some of fun with the beach paws on But we're on the 
and hugged her and I said goodbye Last thing I knew she would have make it alive Oncoming car ran out of control It crushed my baby and it crushed my soul Now all I've got is sorrow and pain Standing out here in the rain The crash of turning glass, the sirens and pain Is driving me Next email is from Xander Lenoir. Howdy, Salon. I'm loving the podcast. Amazing discussion and informative content you guys are putting together. I'm a young Beach Boys fan from southwestern Virginia. I guess you could consider me a part of the new generation of Beach Boys fans. Diving into the rich library of music and history has been an incredible experience, and the podcast has been a huge part of it. Knowing there's a huge network of fellow fans has helped me feel like I'm part of something great. I'm also a passionate comic book fan, and I was surprised to discover Brian Wilson's story retold in a Marvel comic, Hawkeye number 16 by Matt Fraction, tell the story of Hawkeye helping a reclusive and 60s-damaged pop music genius, Will Bryson. The comic is an excellent tribute to Brian and a rare example of my favorite things colliding. What do you guys think of Brian's first solo album? Recently, I've been enjoying the unique sound and feel of the album. Songs like Rio Grande, Nighttime, and Being With The One You Love have been stuck in my head for the past week. Also, you guys should totally bring Sail on to Roanoke. Brian Wilson actually performed here in 2016, and sadly, I missed it. Can't wait to hear the episode on Smart Girls, Xander. Well, that's rad, man. I appreciate the email, and um, I used to be a huge comic book fan. I did not know about that Hawkeye comic, um, and I'm going to have to seek that out now. Regarding Brian's solo album from 88, I'm a huge fan. I really love Love and Mercy and Melt Away and Walking the Line. I also look forward to the episode on Smart Girls and all that sweet insanity stuff. It is a wild time. Thank you for writing, and you can hopefully catch us at a show on salonsounds.com slash tour for the dates, and uh, I'd love to meet you as well. Thank you. Up next is Gary Cates. Dear Wyatt, I am a 66-year-old native of West Los Angeles. The first I remember of the Beach Boys was in a 6th grade elementary school assembly in which I helped lip-sync Be True to Your School. From there, I was a fan, soon owning Beach Boys Today and other albums. You recently asked on your podcast what it must have been like to listen to Beach Boys Party at such a young age. Well, I did listen, and I did not like that album, nor any of those silly comedy fillers. Sonny Wilson versus Cassius Love, etc. I wanted traditional, well-produced Beach Boys songs. Growing up in LA, I was highly proud that the Beach Boys were our local band and were recording their music close to my home and school. 
I recall in 64 or 65 rooting for the Beach Boys when the AM station KFWB had a weekend contest among the Beatles, Four Seasons, and Beach Boys. I knew who was the best group in the world. And so it was that I was 13 and a half in May 1966 when Pet Sounds was released. I was startled, enchanted, and overcome with how well this new album had me figured out. How could they possibly know I was done with fun, fun, fun? How could they possibly understand what I was going through? How only in recent months I acknowledged sexual feelings about others and much deeper and ambivalent feelings about myself. I was no longer the preteen who worshipped Surfer Girl. I felt especially that first year of listening that I embodied the persona Brian created in that album. Wouldn't it be nice to describe my one nocturnal fantasy? That's not me plagiarized my worries and aspirations. I love the podcast. I hope to see you in person someday. Keep up the good work. Gary. Hello, Gary. I appreciate you writing, and I love your thoughts on Pet Sounds. That's not me plagiarizing your worries and aspirations. That sums it up for me and probably many others as well. When I first heard that, I... uh, wholeheartedly understand and thank you so much for sharing that story next up is an email from jed dion wyatt don't get me wrong i love pet sounds and i know it packs powerhouse tunes like wouldn't it be nice god only knows sloop and caroline no but is it really that much better than sunflower You never hear anyone talk about Sunflower. It's not like even on the map with sounds, but what a great album. From the cowbell drench slip on through to the great arrangement in Deirdre. I love Johnson's vocals on this and Tears in the Morning as well. The rocking It's About Time and Who Can Leave Out Dennis's Grand Forever. I don't know guys, but I feel like Sunflower gets more listens from me. Why isn't this album in the same conversation as Pet Sounds? Was it released during waning popularity? Were there bigger albums and other genres coming out in the 1970s? I don't know if Sunflower is better than Pet Sounds, but I also don't know if Pet Sounds is better than Sunflower. Anyway, I'm looking forward to your analysis. The beach stuff is cool, but the stuff they did in the middle of their career was fantastic. Sail on, guys. Jed. Hey, Jed, thank you for writing. I think Sunflower is definitely overlooked um, for many reasons, but it was partially the time it was released. There was all types of... Um, other stuff going on that was more interesting to the commercial public and then um, there weren't really any strong singles on the record another issue and um, it just wasn't respected and revered like Pet Sounds was until much later and even now it's not mentioned nearly enough I am looking forward to giving it some time to shine this year on the podcast and I hope you'll enjoy this deep dive that we go on Next is an email from Corey Milano. Hi guys, I thought I would write you this time to tell you how much I've been enjoying the show. My wife and I just had our first child and we've been playing with him a lot of Beach Boys and I think he really likes it. And we have been playing a lot of the Beatles too. I must admit, your last episode discussing the Beach Boys and the Beatles' influence on each other made me emotional at times. The two groups mean so much to me and my dad and now I get to pass it along to my son. Wow, what a trip. Also, I was wondering if you had heard the Minnesota band Lowe's cover of Surfer Girl. 
It's one of my favorite Beach Boys covers, kind of haunting in a beautiful way. Anyway, thanks again for the amazing podcast. I love it so much. Can't wait to catch up with Sail on, on in person and next time you're in the LA area. Best. CM. I don't think I've heard that before, Corey, but thank you so much for sharing. It's really great. And thank you for uh, sharing the Beach Boys music with your son, who is probably now three or four years old. That's how bad I am at answering emails. But thank you very much. I really appreciate you writing and uh, listening. Next is a great story from our buddy, Doug Burrell. Hi, Wyatt. 
I love hearing the emails about how folks discovered the Beach Boys, so I thought I'd share mine. But first, let me say how much I love the podcast, and I can't wait till you discuss Summer in Paradise. It's way better than the 85 album. I loved seeing and meeting you guys in Selma, North Carolina. Thank you for all you do in spreading the gospel of the Beach Boys. Here's my story. I still remember the first time I heard the Beach Boys. It was June 13th, 1978. I was five years old, and my parents were taking us to the beach. Usually on long drives, they listen to country music, but this time my mother brought along a cassette tape of the Beach Boys. First song I heard was Don't Worry Baby. When I heard those opening harmonies, I stopped playing with my pocket pinball game and listened intently. After a few seconds, this most beautiful sound I had ever heard came on. It was Brian Wilson's voice. My young mind couldn't process the magical sounds I was hearing, and I went into some kind of brain overload and passed out briefly. My father stopped the car and had my mother rush to the back of our 1974 green Ford Torino station wagon where I was lying motionless, but with my eyes open. My sister was prodding me with the stick part of her fun dip candy. I think he's dead, said my brother. Come on, let's go, my sister groaned. My father, a stern, stocky man, snapped at both of them. You two shut your mouths or I'll turn this car around. My mother ignored them all and put one hand on my forehead and gently caressed my cheek as I slowly came to. What the hell happened to you? asked my father. Aw, man, I thought he was dead, my brother said, sounding disappointed. Who was that, Mommy? I asked. Who was who, dear? she replied. On the tape, who was that singing? Was it angels? Oh no, sweetie, she said with a laugh. That was the Beach Boys. Your father and I grew up listening to them. Isn't that right, honey? My father just shook his head and muttered something about me not being quite right. Mommy, I said weakly, I love the Beach Boys. 41 years later, and I love them just as much as I did that day. Doug Burrell. Wow, Doug, I love that story. Thank you so much, man. That was awesome. And I remember meeting you and very much uh, being surprised that you were such a big advocate of Summer in Paradise. So um, they are real. It's like a Bigfoot sighting, but there are Summer in Paradise fans out there. You just have to be in the right place at the right time. And uh, yeah, I, I look forward to discussing that album in depth one day, believe it or not. And I hope to see you again, and we can uh, continue the discussion. Thanks again for that awesome story. Next is from Monty Oric. Boys, I'm blown away by your wonderful podcast. I'm a longtime fan, record collector, and oldster who really appreciates your research and delivery. It's so fun, and I just wanted to say thanks. I particularly liked the Wrecking Crew episode. I learned some new stuff. I heard a few of my favorite songs, at least one of which I didn't know was a Wrecking Crew back cut by Spanky and R-Gang. like to get to know you. I don't hear that song enough, though I've got it at home. One Wrecking Crew record I like in particular is the first Gene Clark solo with the Gosden Brothers. It's my favorite of his, and most of it is Wrecking Crew back. No big hits, but it's about the first country rock record ever and played by some of the same guys who did Love Will Keep Us Together. I tried so hard to please. 
My first Beach Boys record was My Little Sister's Endless Summer. She and some of her cheerleader friends developed routines from a couple tunes on it, which I had heard over and over while they rehearsed. This was in 75, and I was a teenager too. Watching this great music interpreted this way left an indelible impression on me. This music is made for cheerleaders, believe me. My favorite records are Pet Sounds, Wild Honey, Sunflower, Friends, and Today. I look forward to future podcasts about these. Thank you again. I love what you're doing. Best regards, Monty. P.S. I met Carney Wilson once. Isn't she the coolest? Thanks, Monty. I guess uh, you're enjoying the show still. I really appreciate you writing and listening. I love the Wrecking Crew, and I loved doing that episode as well. I feel like we only scratched the surface because those dudes were cranking out hits left and right. It's still mind-blowing to me. Thanks again, man. <clears throat> Here's a great story from Nazareth. Hey, Wyatt, I've recently gone from a casual Beach Boys fan to a diehard thanks to your podcast. Thankfully for my new obsession, Brian's first show of 2019 happened to be a festival in nearby Redondo Beach. In case you wanted the perspective of a first-timer, here it is. I'd seen enough videos, heard enough stories to be semi-prepared for what I was in for, but it was still a much more emotional experience than I was expecting. Seeing him wheeled out in a wheelchair was a bit jarring, especially when paired with the teleprompter and the black cloth draped over the piano. It was clear that somebody was controlling his mic. There were a few times when it looked like he was addressing the crowd, but his mic was off. Otherwise, he seemed to be taking cues from Al or Matt when to sing. I got choked up during Don't Worry Baby as they sang Everything Will Turn Out All Right, while Brian was seemingly not totally all right. A sweet moment happened during Wouldn't It Be Nice when Brian sang the first verse along with Matt, which seemed to shock Matt. He looked over at the band with a shocked face, followed by a big grin, and motioned offstage to turn Brian up. He then leaned down to Brian and encouraged him with a thumbs up. I shed a tear when Brian sang the bridge, caught up in a range of emotions while seeing the master perform his craft. Afterwards, Matt patted Brian on the shoulder and gave him another thumbs up. Another cool moment was during God Only Knows when Brian was clearly struggling vocally and the crowd seemed to raise their voices louder to help him. It was a festival crowd, so I wasn't expecting much, but everybody seemed very thankful and respectful. Overall, the band sounded great, and seeing Brian up there, although heartbreaking at times, was a surreal experience. I just hope and pray he's enjoying this celebration of his mastery. I know I was. Thanks for the incredible podcast, Nazareth LeMay. Now, thank you for writing and listening, Nazareth. It's been uh, a tough few years for Brian Wilson on the road and on stage, and I think that we can only hope and, and pray that he's getting the care he needs and that he's emotionally uh, able to deal with um, the struggles of being on the road. And, and I don't know if we'll get to see him again. I, I'm lucky to have seen him a dozen or so times, but I know many of you guys have, and some of you haven't, so we'll, we'll see. But I think that he may, be, he may be wrapping it up as far as his live shows go. But I hope I'm wrong, and I hope that we get another shot, and uh, maybe there's um, some sort of big celebration that they could do to to send him off into the sunset anyway thanks again uh, for writing i love that story 
All right, let's head across the pond and hear from Jeffrey Haynes. Hi, you guys. Jeff from Long Eaton, Nottingham, UK. I just found your podcast about my favorite band, the Beach Boys. It's brilliant. Rewind back to 1966. I kept hearing this song on the radio. It was Sloop John B. I bought the single even though I didn't have a record player, and then I bought Best of the Beach Boys. Upon playing it, I realized that I had already heard Get Around, Help Me Rhonda, and the brilliant California Girls. I would give it an 11 out of 10. On the Beach Boys Today podcast now, and I love this album. Off to download the rest of the podcast. Thank you so much. Cheers, Jeff Haynes. Thank you so much, Jeff. I love California Girls, as you know, and um, you can't give anything an 11 out of 10. That doesn't make sense. It's not fair, so stop trying to one-up me. (laughs) But I am a big fan of England, and I hope that we can get over there at some point and do some Beach Boys shows, but... Regardless, thank you so much, man. I love hearing from you, and uh, thanks for listening. All right, next up is from Brett Hawkins. Greetings. I've been playing catch-up on your podcast. I'm currently on the Lost Concert from 64 episode, and I'm loving it. I'm an indie-based Beach Boys fan in my 40s who found the band through my mom's beat-up copy of All Summer Long, which I wore out as a kid. Saw the full band back in the mid-80s, and I've been seeing Brian several times these past few years as well. I enjoyed hearing more about David Marks through your show, and I was super stoked this weekend to find a copy of John Stebbins' book on Dave in a local bookstore. Imagine my surprise when I discovered it was signed by both John and Dave. I'm quickly working my way through the book, and I had to chuckle when I found out the boys played the opening of the Long Beach Cinnamon Cinder nightclub. My wife is from L.A., and my mother-in-law was always talking about hanging out at the Cinnamon Cinder. I was clearly born in the wrong decade. Keep up the great work. And I look forward to catching up with you on new episodes soon. Surf's up, Brett. Hey, Brett. That is awesome. I love that book about David Marks. And if you can get a hold of it, you should definitely try and read that. It's awesome. And that uh, was pretty much the main reason we were able to do that David Marks episode. because that book is just so good. And um, his story deserves to be told. So um, huge shout out to John Stebbins and David Marks. And uh, thank you, Brett, for listening and writing. Okay, next up, let's hear from Marty Alexander. Hey, I'm enjoying your podcast. I've been a Beach Boys fan since 1962. I saw them for the first time in 1965 at the New York Academy of Music, and I was also there for the 1970 Carnegie Hall comeback show. I have continued attending concerts throughout the decades, and I saw Brian live at his first comeback performance in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Pet Sounds is the most moving piece of music made in the 20th century. I love your series on it. Thank you for the hard work, Marty. Wow, Marty, thank you for writing. And uh, just wanted to say that is incredible that you were there in 1970 for the Carnegie Hall show. That's one of the most legendary Beach Boys performances. So um, you are one of the lucky few. And uh, we're getting into that era now. If you have any thoughts or comments on that show, I'd love to hear about it. Thank you again for writing. All right, next up is from Mark David. Hi, Wyatt. What a joy it has been to discover you and the Salon podcast. Since discovering your show, I have streamed nearly every episode here from my desk near Innsbruck, Austria. Like most music fanatics, I am dreaming about music all the time, even while working. And having you in the background makes my day go by quicker. 
I especially enjoy the emails, so I thought I'd drop a line of my own and try and put my personal Beach Boys story down and share it with you. Like you, I could sit around and talk Beach Boys all day, but I'll try to keep it somewhat concise for the interest of time. So here it goes. Literally the first real music record I ever owned was Darlin' with Here Today and all of its seven inches of glory. I don't think I ever had the sleeve and I don't know where it came from, but I do recall never getting rid of it once. I started collecting albums a few years later. Today, I use the Stack of Tracks version of Darlin' as the intro music for my endless summer radio show. More on that later. So it has stayed with me throughout the years as most of the Beach Boys music. After the 7-inch, there were the collections like Endless Summer and Surfer Girl, the images of the squeaky clean surfboard carrying young versions, as well as their hair farming leaf obscured hippies, are some of the most iconic visuals I remember from those early years. Even when I started getting into harder rock and roll like Kiss, hey who didn't, I kept those albums and cassettes. I can also remember that my father's wife had an 8-track in her purple Camaro which I would try to get into extra early to pop in the Beach Boys rather than listen to whatever she had in the deck. I'd pretend like I hadn't done it. Hey, it's the Beach Boys, cool. Or did you want to listen to Carol King? Cue rolling eyes and a knowing smile. I'm pretty sure I wasn't fooling anyone, but I don't recall it being taken out either. Speaking of harder music, Shutdown is proto-metal, and the lyrics could almost have been from Judas Priest, maybe on the Turbo album. I seriously credit that tune with my love for hard rock and metal and think someone needs to do a proper cover one of these days. Shut it up, shut it up, buddy, now I'll shut you down. Anyway, college came and I had been through some serious phases of metal, the dead, the velvet underground, Bowie, Iggy, indie or modern rock, reggae, psych, anything and everything. Brian's first solo album was just coming out and it seemed like everyone was talking about it. I bought a CD and dusted off Pet Sounds again. Boom, I was off, this time for real, as Pet Sounds became my true favorite album. Fast forward to a few years later, and I found myself in Los Angeles, where a local band called The Wonder Mints were just putting out their first music. Along with The Mints, there was a band called Baby Lemonade, who were getting quite popular, and had put out their first EP, with a cover of Wind Chimes' Wonderful, which was out of this world. The Baby Lemonade guys were playing as Arthur Lee's new love band. But in addition to love, another major band who I um, love and Wrecking Crew users too, they were constantly mentioning Brian Wilson as an influence in interviews. Imagine my surprise when I walked into a local Santa Monica record store and discovered two of the band members working at the counter. We talked about the Beach Boys for a few hours and then still do when we catch up today. Something tells me they'd like Sail On too. Around that time in LA, there was this real renaissance of interest in Brian's music and pop music in general. This was the time of the legendary Poptopia club nights in places like the Alligator Lounge or Jack's Sugar Shack, bands like Cockeyed Ghost, Liquor Giants, Chewy Marble, and many others were packing houses, and it seemed like everyone wanted to be a Beach Boy. Bigger bands like the High Llamas or Teenage Fan Club, who did the whole smile-sounding thing so well, were kings to us when they came over. Halcyon days, really. Around this time, the Wild Honey Group did their first benefit show, a tribute to Brian Wilson. Maybe you know about it. Who am I kidding? You probably have the soundboard tape. 
But if not, the lineup is something like the Apples in Stereo, Alex Chilton, some of the Cars, Baby Lemonade, and somewhat of a surprising set, Mr. Brian Wilson. They played videos before the bands began of Brian in the Sandbox doing surfs up on the piano, stuff like this, pre-YouTube, so most of the footage hadn't been easy to see. One guy was even dressed up like Brian, right down to the haircut. What a show, and why the hell did I not buy a t-shirt? Also around this time, 96, was a kind of a singer-songwriter event in Topanga Canyon, where Brian joined Ricky Lee Jones and others to talk about the craft of, well, songwriting. He did a sampling of some of his greatest and brought the place alive with jokes and great playing. I guess the most memorable part was either Ricky Lee flubbing Don't Worry Baby right in front of the guy who wrote it, or having Brian and Melinda right in front of me while everyone exited the venue. I didn't bug him. Damn it. I've seen Brian live a few more times. Once in the front row in Paris, once in Bonn, Germany, and most recently, the PS show in Lancaster, Pennsylvania a few years ago. I know, I get around. One more thing I am kicking myself about is missing the 50th anniversary show, which was going on in Berlin when I was there one time. What was I thinking? Oh, I'll just catch the 75th. In between those LA days and now, my fandom has risen steadily and is currently at a frenzied level. Having started my own California music radio show, the hopefully self-explanatory Endless Summer Show, which airs every fourth Tuesday here in Innsbruck, I pretty much play the Beach Boys every month, sometimes only them. You can find my page on Facebook and listen to the archives. I'm pretty sure I am the only American dude spinning the boys and waxing poetic about them so often in the Alps. One good thing about getting older is that you generally have more money to spend on stuff than when you were a kid. This year I have bought five Beach Boys t-shirts, including a very cool Mike Love Not War one, and vinyl versions of MIU, which rules, I don't care what anyone says. Yes, I agree with you. Don't worry, Mark. And, uh... (laughs) The Smile Sessions, plus the Sunshine Tomorrow sets. So after something like 40 years of listening, Mike, Brian, Al, and Carl, and Dennis, in many ways, I'm still that little kid excited about spinning my scratched-up single in my room. See what I did there? And don't get me started on the Blondie and Ricky years, or I'll have to type another page. Thanks for reading this, and above all, thanks for the podcast. The Beach Boys are the soundtrack to my life, and I appreciate so much hearing from people who feel the same way. I'd love to hear your thoughts on my show, and I will certainly mention Sail On on mine. Keep up the great work, and Sail On Sailors. Mark, a.k.a. DJ Mark David. Mark, what an awesome story. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to your show and um man you've just been everywhere and seen the boys in so many different places and man that scene in LA in the 90s that must have been insane you didn't mention um jellyfish but they're one of my favorite bands and i'm sure you would come across those guys as well being out there at that time but yeah how cool that is just so cool um anyway thank you so much man and um i look forward to checking out your show All right, next up, we're going to read an email from Italy. I don't remember if we've had one from Italy before, but anyway, awesome. Hey, guys, what's up? This is Matthew from northeastern Italy. I live very close to a USA base called Aviano AFB. I just wanted to tell you that you do such a great job, and I really wanted to thank you for all the info and knowledge you share about the Beach Boys. 
My father initially introduced me to their music. I started out with their cover of California Dreamin', then moved to Good Vibrations after some listening. I ended up loving them. What I like the most is how they turned from being a popular band for teenagers in the early period of their career to being such a profound, deep, and thrilling band with songs which started out as simple and catchy, like Surfing USA, and their main topics were cars, girls, and surfing, to turning into a band which touched my heart because of what they talked about, plus the harmony underlaying the lyrics. So great job. I just love what you do. I'm sorry that I'll never get the chance to see you live since I don't live in the States. Thank you for what you do and keep going the way you're going. Well, thank you, Matthew. I appreciate you writing and listening all the way from Italy. That's amazing. And uh, maybe I will make it over there one day. You never know. Stay tuned. All right, back to the U.S. And this one is from Jim Hensa. Hi, boys. After listening to the most recent podcasts and hearing others tell their Come to the Beach Boys stories, I felt compelled to tell mine. It starts in 1965. I was an 11-year-old living in Hawaii. Our family was stationed there. I was a beginning guitar player, having graduated from the ukulele to a really cheap K acoustic. I was in love with the Beatles and the Beach Boys, and everyone around me knew it. An older teenager in our neighborhood invited me to go with her and friends to see the boys in Waikiki Shell in Honolulu, July 5, 1965. Fortunately, my mom said yes. I think tickets were $5. I was so young, but I remember Dino Desi and Billy and Barbara Lewis were the opening acts. I'm not sure whether it was Bruce or Glenn on bass that night. I didn't really know who they were individually. Each act probably only played for 20 minutes, and there was a lot of screaming. It was an amazing experience. Flash forward to 72, having just finished high school and now living in Milwaukee, I was actively buying vinyl albums and would make a once a week pilgrimage to a local record store, always starting in the cutout bins. I knew and loved all the Beach Boys hits, but only knew a few more recent songs via the progressive FM stations that were popular then. I heard Feel Flows and maybe a few other Latter Day songs, but wasn't a hardcore fan by any means. Fortunately for me, Capitol had, in the early 70s, deleted most of their catalog, and it was all there for me to buy for a few bucks. I started with the Beach Boys' Deluxe Set, which was a triple album package including Today's, Summer Days, and Pet Sounds. I didn't know most of this music other than the obvious hit songs, and I was just enthralled by all of it. Next was Friends. I didn't know any of this wonderful album, but it became my favorite, and it still is today. In short order, I owned every album from Surf and Safari all the way to 2020. I wanted more. I had that record store special order Sunflower for me. My love for them grew. Flash forward to 74, I'm now living in the Washington DC area where I still live today and have now become a rabid collector of any albums, 45s, books, etc. that I can get my hands on. I'm also working at a record store, making it easy to find more obscure Beach Boys related stuff like California music singles, Bruce Johnston, Terry Melcher singles, etc. I meet a like-minded guy that year, and armed with the knowledge that the band will be staying at the Four Seasons Hotel in downtown D.C., we head off to their August 24th show at the Capitol Center in Largo, Maryland. Blondie has left, but Ricky Fatar is still with them. Wonderful show, about half newer songs and about half oldies. We decamp to the lobby of the hotel, I with my vinyl copy of Sunflower in hand to try and sign autographs. First Beach Boy we see is Al, followed shortly by Mike, both of whom graciously signed my my album. A few minutes later, Dennis emerges from the elevator and walks straight to the front desk. We hear him ask, Do you know where everyone went? The clerk replying, They all went to the Roma, a popular Italian restaurant nearby. He sees us and then is very nice, signing our albums and chatting for a minute. 
He seems unsure as how he is going to get to the restaurant. I say, hey, Dennis, we could drive you there. He sizes us up for a few seconds and asks, do you guys know how to get there? We aren't sure. And this is centuries before GPS. And we admit, well, no, but I'm sure we can find it. Dennis thinks about it for a few seconds, seeming to consider getting into a car with two young strangers, but finally says, nah, I'll take a cab. Thanks anyway, guys. I have thought about many times what that would have been like and having driven him there. Would he have invited us to join the entourage for dinner? I think he would have. No more close encounters after that, but I did see the Beach Ago tour following year and saw Brian perform Smile in 2004 or 5. I have an obscene amount of Beach Boys albums, 45s, cassettes, books, etc. to this day. Thank you for your great podcast. I look forward to each one. Regards, Jim Hensa. Thank you for that awesome story, Jim. Man, missed opportunities. Yeah, but I mean, who knows? I mean, it, it, it probably wouldn't have been as cool as you think in your mind. I'm just telling you that so that you don't, you know, regret that whole situation. But, you know, it's amazing that you got to meet Dennis and um, Alan Mike, too. It's so cool. And you have that signed Sunflower copy. All right, next up is an email from Tim Gallagher. Hi, Wyatt. We have been in touch in the past, and you have shared a couple of my contributions. I've been hit or miss on the podcast, but have listened to dozens, and they were always fun to listen to. I missed what happened with Jason on the podcast. Is he okay? Did he decide to move on? I often listen on my commute along the coast from Carlsbad to Dana Point, which isn't terrible duty for a 62-year-old boy from Ohio. My Beach Boys collecting peak was 75 to 80, and over the years, I passed along most everything but the vinyl. I saw 15 shows in the Midwest, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan during those years. I was going through some old 45s and found this. You may be way ahead of me on knowing about it, but happy to send it along for you to listen to. Record study if you like. The A side is stereo and the B side is mono. Let me know where to send it. And he posted a picture of it. It is the California music version of Don't Worry Baby. Pretty amazing. I do not have that. So if... If it is still available, I know it's been a couple of years since you wrote, uh, then I would gladly take it. I will send my address, but that is fantastic. What a cool piece. Well, it's been building up inside of me for all no.
Thank you for writing, Tim. Um, and yeah, really great uh, little uh, little drive that you have to go down uh, on the coast. That's pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, regarding Jason, it's really not a lot that I can talk about because it's kind of personal. And and Jason had other priorities that he wanted to focus on, and it wasn't fair of me to push him to do the podcast when he wasn't fully interested in doing it. And I'll just keep it that way for now because it is personal and I wish Jason the best. I have no ill wishes towards him or anything like that. It just, um, you know, people grow and change and we were really close for a little while and then um, we weren't. And that's just sometimes how it goes. And it's uh, tough at first, but, you know, that's life, man. You you live and, and you learn. So anyway, um, thanks, Tim, for writing. Appreciate that. Let's do one more. This is from Blake Halliday. Hey, guys, just wanted to write in about my lifelong obsession with the boys. When I was maybe four or five, my mom used to put on a VHS tape called Kids Songs Ride the Roller Coaster. I think there were a few Beach Boys songs on it, but I specifically remember the kids' version of Little Deuce Coop. It was my favorite, and I didn't even know it was the Beach Boys until my teens. Anyway, when I was in college, one of my friends said his favorite band mentioned that Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys was his biggest influence. I was intrigued because I had no clue what Pet Sounds was, and I had never heard of it. I decided to download one of their albums with some songs I was familiar with, so I bought Surfer Girl. The last day of school, I decided to clean my room before moving out. I had a bag of magic mushrooms someone gave me and decided to eat the whole thing. I played Surfer Girl and was hooked. I listened through it eight hours of my trip and then bought Pet Sounds and became obsessed. I even recorded my own Beach Boys ripoff, which you can take a listen to if you want. recorded it on an old 8-track and wrote and performed it all. Anyway, thank you for the Ceylon podcast. It's unbelievable, and I've been blazing through the episodes for the last few weeks. Thanks again, Blake. Blake, dude, be careful with the mushrooms, but I'm so glad that it opened your mind and pathways to the, the unknown realms of the Beach Boys music. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. 
So I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, how often do you think we should be doing emails? I got a lot. Should it be like every six months? I don't know. You guys tell me what you think. I like doing it. I like reading the emails. It just got a little overwhelming and I was trying to focus on, you know, the content of the podcast, like the actual episode content and spreading out the emails became a little bit more difficult because the episodes were so long. (sighs) They don't teach you this in podcast school, so I'm just learning as I go. So I need some feedback if you guys um, are interested in sharing that with me. And um, I'm going to work through these emails, I promise. I really appreciate it. I love the emails. And um, it's just little old me, so I have a hard time getting through all 900 of them or whatever it is that I've gotten. Uh, But thank you guys. It really means a lot. And, um, you know, sometimes it's nice to just have like a one-on-one, me and you, so to speak. And we haven't done that in a while. And we probably won't do that in a while still because we've got um, guests on the way and exciting things to talk about and lots of content Um, I love the Beach Boys I'm trying to find the right balance and it's always been hard for me Um, like we mentioned um, at first we had Jason on the show with me and uh, I tried to make him more of a part of it than I think he was wanting to be so it kind of uh, made uh, made it difficult, but um, I love the rapport that we had, and I know many people miss that, and uh, I wanted to try and continue that in the best way I could, but I just, I feel like I've lost the spark a little bit, as you do in any relationship, so uh, after a while you have to work at getting that back, so I'm trying to find that spark again with you guys, I'm trying to figure out what I can do to make this podcast more uh, interesting and also more exciting and fun. So let me know. That's just me giving you my honest, honest feelings. And uh, I want to thank you guys so much for sticking with me. If you are listening to this and you're a true sailor, please check out the Discord. We got some good conversations going over there. There's a link to that in the show notes. Uh, if you want to come see Sail On, the band check out those tour dates at sailonsounds.com and yeah I promise that next time we talk we will be talking about Sunflower and that's going to be a lot of fun I hope you guys are doing super well I hope you're excited about whatever this year holds for you and I hope that I get to see some of you guys out there on the road but um I'm really appreciative of you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you to everyone who helps make this podcast what it is. And I will talk to you guys real soon. Sail on, sailors. See the microphone,